0: Paris. it's monday march 21st 2022 welcome back to the cbs sports eye on college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black Matt norlander is here with me he's back home i'm still in new york city if you're watching live on youtube please smash the like button like your brandon davies and check this out if we get the Let's put the number at 200. 200 likes on this video on YouTube. We'll give away a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus at the conclusion of this episode. Paramount Plus, of course, is your place to stream NCAA tournament games, the NFL Champions League, PGA Tour, and some of the best films and shows being made right now. Among them, 1883, starring Sim Elliott, Tim McGraw, and Faith Hill. So just shout out you know, Larnell or Leaky Black or Dodo Birds or Huck the Dog, whatever you want in the comments. Leave your Twitter handle, your Instagram handle with your comment. And uh, if you win, Nada will contact you and hook you up. All right, Deadleg, you were in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, for the Coach K Retirement Tour that will now Take you and him to San Francisco, California. And that's because the Blue Devils beat Michigan State on Sunday, 85-76. They were down 70-65 with five minutes left in regulation. Dead simple question. At that point, before Duke went on a wild run to end it, did you think Coach Key's career was five minutes from being over?
1: There's a great AP writer based out of North Carolina named Aaron Beard. And uh, he asked me the same thing after this would have been. Well, know. then
0: why don't you just let Aaron Beard host the podcast next time?
1: Yeah, actually, that was the other thing he talked about. He said, "Listen, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I need to get in there." All right, I said, <laughs> "I said, well, well, we'll see about that." No, but he did because he was, he was, you know, he's the AP writer uh, for you know that region. Like it's, it's on him to write the really the story of record that would go across the country and all the wires. Uh, Aaron would be the one that writes the story and has to condense all of that into like a thousand words, basically. And so he said, you know, did you feel like it was going to be it? I said, I definitely thought it was possible, but with five minutes to go, 70 to 65, I didn't get that feeling in my stomach like, uh, okay, this is really going to, all right, let me just lean into this because this is going to happen. I didn't reach that point. If it had been at that, maybe like three minutes to 245 or so, yes, but I still thought they had a decent chance because both teams had played so well, so free on offense. Now they didn't have AJ Griffin, who went out with eight and change to go when he twisted his ankle, and despite him not being in, in the get in the game, Jeremy Roach came in and stepped up big. I did file a, a column on all of this. Uh, I wound up uh, with the help of the guys from HD uh, Intelligence crunching the numbers to make sure it was right on the points per possession because I wanted to know because it watching it, seeing it up close, it looked like Duke flipped a switch, and I wanted to know down to the points per possession what it was so from when you start with when you start the clock at palo Banquero getting the layup to cut it from 70 to 65 to 70 to 67 what duke completely dominates completely dominates michigan state 1.80 points per possession michigan state had 0.67 1.8 is intergalactic okay if you eliminate how about this If you remove the final uh, couple of possessions, which could be designated as quote-unquote garbage time when the game was already decided, if you remove that, Duke was at 2.14 points per possession, okay? And Michigan State was at 0.57. The point being, Duke put up its most impressive stretch of the entire season. Statistically, it's inarguable. And when you consider how well it played on defense, holding Michigan State... To, I th- was it two of seven, two of nine? One of those two, they forced a turnover. Duke never missed a field goal attempt from the time it got to 70 to 65. They flipped the game on its head. They closed, I think, on a 26 to run. They had an 8 0 run in there that was big time. And they stave off, yes, the elimination. And they will move on to the Sweet 16. And every single guy got a big play in there. It was, it was, I actually want to know from you. I assume like there, there's two different experiences watching these kind of games and people listening and people watching on YouTube. Do smash the like button. Thanks for showing up here. Uncommon time on a Monday afternoon, but thank you for your patience, everyone. We were not going to have this podcast be done at two 15 in the morning on a Sunday. We made the right decision. Um, What I'm getting at here is when you watch a game in person like that versus the experience of watching on television, they can be two different things. Like the Arizona TCU game I watched on television. It was amazing, but to see that actually right in front of you can also feel like a different visceral experience to watch this happen at Bon Secours wellness arena where the Wi-Fi was initially, <laughs> but they got it fixed. Uh, it was incredible. I wonder if on TV, though, it might have felt like Michigan State's momentum was bigger. The, the the lead was, you know, not actually bigger, but it just felt like maybe they had the game more in hand with their push there. I never felt like in the building, and a lot of that was the Duke fans parish, uh, that it was out of hand. Uh, it just felt like a really tight, really close game. And then Duke, you know, Saved the season at, at the perfect time, and, uh, and obviously everyone was elated on the Duke side when it happened.
0: I had a slightly different viewing experience. I obviously wasn't watching it in person, but I also wasn't just watching it on TV. I was trying to watch it on TV while being live on TV, okay. <laughs> which is complicated because uh, in the studio, Studio 44 at the CBS Broadcast Center, I sit on the far right of the desk. Like If you're looking at the desk, I'm always on the far right. Um, it's the Seth Davis seat. They only let smart guys sit there. Seth told me, so it's me and Seth Davis on the on the far right seat. So we sit. I sit over there. We have a thing we call the tree, and what the tree is, it's this thing that rolls around. And it, are you just eating in the middle of the podcast,
1: dude? I, I mean, I flew home. I've had a muffin. So yeah, I'm going to mute my mic, and when you're talking, I'm going to eat. I'm going to make sure that I can get through this thing. Keep going. <laughs> that
0: that seemed wildly inappropriate.
1: Taking off my shirt, a la Kelvin Sampson, would be wildly inappropriate that i'm just trying, yeah, trying to get a, a little carbon to my belly go ahead so we have this
0: thing called the tree and what the tree is it's this thing that rolls around it's got like a you know big pole coming up and then it's got six tvs connected to it so the idea behind it is while we're sitting on the desk if there are games are going on you can glance over at the tree and uh you know sort of keep your eye on it so while uh, you know, John Rothstein is talking and the camera's on him only, I can watch the game uh, and, and sort of keep track of what's going Here's the problem. I sit on the right side of the desk. The tree, it's on the other side of the desk, way over by the wall. And full disclosure, I lost my actual glasses at some point in the middle of the season and I haven't just made a priority to go get new ones yet because I don't even I haven't driven a car and six weeks probably um so uh, these are fake glasses okay i can't i can't see that far (laughs) i can barely see why are you wearing them now it's my look man people expect a certain thing from me imagine Uh, if i show up here with no
1: glasses i think i think no one would say a thing
0: i would say a thing
1: you would say many things, but okay. would, you're going, going to fake glasses. Route. All right, fair. Here's
0: the point. Here's the point I'm trying to make. I, could I, see it. To know what, <laughs> I couldn't ahead. see anything. And so we're at a commercial break. I get up and go stand in front of the tree so that I can actually see what's happening. And I'm like, uh, OK, here comes Duke. Now it's uh, they cut it from five to uh, three point game or two point game or whatever. Then we got to go back on TV. You know, the stage director's like, all right, need you back in your seat. And so, you know, that means that means get back in your seat. So I get back in my seat. We go do another segment, uh, go back to commercial. I walk back over and I go, oh, wow. They pulled away. What happened? It was like twenty six run final four fifty eight. Jeremy Roach hit a big three. Okay, congratulations, Duke. That was my experience watching that game. Oh my
1: god. Well, yes, Jeremy Roach did hit a big three, humongous three, and particularly because Griffin would have been in the game had he not gotten hurt. You have to think uh, for Roach to come in. They were up one. They hit the three. It wasn't exactly the dagger, but it was the one where the building absolutely popped. And it was like, yeah, Duke might really, really have this. They wind up winning by. They wind up winning by nine. Uh, someone told me that i predicted that number on the podcast i have no recollection of doing that but whatever i'll take credit for it if it happened um and yeah michigan michigan state gave him a great push it was a, it was a wonderful matchup and duke had to have this kind of performance had to be pushed like this they knew it was coming maybe not necessarily they knew it was coming against michigan state but duke knew its players knew mike sushiski has alluded to this a few times over the past couple of weeks like if they're going to continue to play in this thing then it, it they're going to have to actually show they're legitimately a good enough defensive team to make it happen. We'll talk about what they're going to face with Texas Tech, which is a completely different beast altogether. But I actually think it was a really good thing for this team's mental resolve and basically, and and you know, physical fortitude going forward. Because I think there's been times this season where you could say. If Duke wasn't necessarily soft, it just it could it could certainly be um it could be back down here or there and defensively it could wilt. And that just did not happen in this spot. And for each of those guys, I mean Bancaro had a few really good plays offensively and defensively. Williams had flat five blocks, including one in that stretch. Uh, Wendell Moore almost like duped Max Christie into a bet. Ba- I guess he did dupe him. I don't it, it was almost as like Christie didn't even see more there. He had a big steal. Uh Trevor Keels hit one three all game. It came in that final five minute stretch there. Blue Devils go on and they avoid the fate that happened five years ago in that building when they were also a two seed, also playing a seven seed, South Carolina. Granted, the Gamecocks had a much larger home presence than than Michigan State, of course. And they move along. And good on, uh, good on Duke for doing so. Mike Krzyzewski now has twelve hundred wins to his career. He's now thirteen and three. He will finish thirteen and three all time against Tom Izzo. He is at sitting now at ninety nine. NCAA tournament wins. That is the most all time. He's going to his 26 sweet 16. That's the most all time. He has the most elite eights of all time. (laughs) Like all this stuff. It's all his, but, uh, but it keeps going. And I will also note this in the, uh, in the post game press conference, he got uh, a bit choked up, a little bit emotional because I I do believe on a certain level, even if he or the players weren't going to say this after the game last night to not get to at least the second weekend in this season would have amounted to a certain level of embarrassment. You know, you had a really good team, won the ACC regular season. You were top 10 in the polls for the majority of the season. And even though losing to Michigan State and Tom Izzo would not have been something to specifically be embarrassed about, it would have felt like, you know, man, like we couldn't even get to two wins in this thing. They did. And I was looking at the sideline when the game was wrapped and there was no doubt about it, that staff, Shire, K., Nolan Smith, Carowell, smiles, exhales. I it was it it looked at, to be as joyous as it was a sense of relief that it's like, okay, at least this isn't going to end like prematurely and we're going to get to a chance to play in the second week and no matter the opponent there. So I thought, I thought that was uh, reflected in how Shashevsky. Said the, you know, to be the seventy five and live through this and and this game overall and how proud he was to just be associated with these guys and he want he didn't even want to just share it have it, them to celebrate he wanted to be a part of it because this is his last deal all around it was uh well it was a hell of, it was a hell of a night and that wasn't even the most we'll get to it in a second but <laughs> all that happened before Auburn no showed against Miami so it was a it was a weird one for me down in South Carolina.
0: Just real quick on getting to the second weekend, like that's sort of where the bar is for we remember you or we don't like nobody remembers. Oh, yeah, that was that team that advanced to the round of 32. It's like you either get to the second weekend or you don't.
1: If you're in a uh, power conference, different for, you know, the the Cinderella's that might win a game magically and, and that kind of stuff, you
0: know, even those don't nope. really resonate the way the way you do. If you're a Cinderella who wins two, you know, there's a reason why we remember Florida Gulf Coast and not every double digit seed that wins one game. The difference between winning one and two is massive, not to mention like it like it it gives you um, it, it cuts the field from 32 down to 16. This is one of those simple math things again, but also gives you like four days of extra exposure. You know, Monday, people are talking about you. Tuesday, people are talking about you. Wednesday, people are talking about you. Thursday, people are talking about you. And then you're going to play either on Thursday or Friday. Um, big difference between getting to Sweet 16 or just losing in the round of 32. So for Duke and everybody else, you know, winning that second game is is obviously meaningful. The other game in Greenville on Sunday, it was the second game. A little bit of a surprise. As you mentioned, Miami upset Auburn. BP's Tigers are done. Dead leg, there were... um. Auburn skeptics all season, despite the Tigers moving to number one in the AP poll for the first time in school history back in January. And those skeptics, they usually pointed to a questionable guard play against Miami. Auburn's three primary guards, Katie Johnson, Wendell Green, Zeb Jasper combined to go nine of 28 from the field, two of 14 from three, eight turnovers, and just six assists. So Auburn, which also got nothing from Walker Kessler, Loses 79 61 and Miami as a 10 seed is off to the sweet 16. That's uh, I guess some people have had it that way, but not most,
1: not most, no, not at all. And uh, you know, full disclosure as I'm you know, do I had to interview Mark Williams on HQ, I had to do the live hit for the Duke stuff, and then I wanted to hear the press conference, then started to write the Duke column. I didn't see any of this first half, I was in the back of the arena, but it's on the TV, so I saw like uh, you know, glimpses there. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is how it's going to go, huh? We're gonna we're gonna do this, while we're in here. We're gonna we're gonna no show against Miami, and that's essentially what happened. I'm giving credit to Miami for getting this win. Uh, no, Canes, great stuff. And My, Miami is the third ACC team into the Sweet 16, by the way. So uh, SEC has one team, Hogs. ACC has Duke, Carolina, and Miami. And for the I, I'm not. How about this? After seeing Miami in Brooklyn for the ACC tournament, I only I saw them play a good game, but they lost against Duke. So, you know, it was a one and done for me. They had beaten. They'd they'd squeaked by BC the night before in OT to get to play Duke in the semis. And uh, it was a really, really good game. And seeing Miami up, up close and personal, I thought, huh. They actually they've got enough here where I I think they they might have a chance depending on their draw in the tournament uh, of winning a game or two because Cam Auguste was an all ACC player Isaiah Wong had got some you know I felt like a little bit of buzz in the preseason over being like you know uh, uh, can be a top tier kind of guard in the ACC and he's really grown into it Charlie Moore has been around forever um, their Charlie guard Moore is
0: old, Charlie Moore is older than I am
1: he's he's incredible yeah and, and, and yeah. You're absolutely right about that. Sam Wardenberg, 6'10", steps steps out and shoots, you know, north of 40% from the three-point line. So they have enough there where I thought, okay, it's certainly possible. And then I saw him beat USC by two on Friday. Good game. Drew Peterson kind of had like a a Gordon Hayward shot right off. It was right right in front of me. It was right off the backboard. You know, they would have won if he went in. It didn't, but a well-fought game and, and Miami moved along. And then against Auburn, you know, from the get go, Miami never lost, never trailed. It was it was hurricanes from from the start. McGusty had twenty, I, Isaiah Wong had twenty one, Charlie Moore had another fifteen, Jordan Miller had twelve, and yeah, it was it was a bad shooting night for the Tigers. Uh, I, I don't want to say that Jabari Smith like completely disappeared because that's not the case. He took sixteen shots, but there were gaps in this game where he wasn't getting, I think, as many touches or commanding as many touches. But he finished three of sixteen from the field. Walker Kessler didn't hit a shot. And yeah, you had a few times where, again, either Wendell Green Jr. or Katie Johnson, some of their play was just erratic. There was none of their starters, at their offensive rating at Ken Palm. I mean, Jabari Smith was 69, not nice. Katie Johnson, 79. Alan Flanagan, 71. Zepp Jasper, for 80. Walker Kessler was a 41 offensive rating in this game. Compare that to the Miami guys. You basically, if you're at 100, you're doing okay. McGusty was 110, Moore was 125, Wong was 107, and Wardenburg was 169. Just drastically different there. And Auburn limped down the end of the season. I mean, I'm sure you got this all queued up, and I'll kind of toss it back to you. But it 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 started off 22 and one. What was it? 22 and one, and then it finished six and five. Mm-hmm. And it did not beat. If you include Jacksonville State because they were in the tournament, so obviously the only tournament team it beat since February 2nd, Auburn was Jacksonville State. That's the only one. All the other wins did not come against teams that made the NCAA tournament there. So the loss didn't stun me. I thought Auburn would win. The way that Auburn lost, yeah, I do think that's pretty surprising. 79 to 61 to Miami when you had much more. And Miami brought some fans. And Miami's done a wonderful job. And Jim Laranaga, this is the fourth time he's making the Sweet 16. Hello. Third time he's done this at Miami. Okay. But for Auburn to, you know, get just completely trounced like that, it's a rough way to go out for Bruce Perlin's team. They got nothing from
0: the guards. Walker Kessler, first foul with 1735 in the first half, second foul with 1559, goes to the bench, does come back, but he ends up only playing um uh for, you know what what represents four minutes in the first half, and um only played nine in the second half. 13 minutes in the game for Walker Kessler, 0-6 from the field, two points, two rebounds, two blocks. Miami went small and played him off the court. Um, Jim Laranaga sort of with a smile in the postgame said there's some advantages to playing small. Like they, you know, they had a game plan to take Walker Kessler out of this thing. And obviously when he's not standing there rim protecting Auburn is a totally different team, especially on the defensive end. And so it was a bad night for Auburn, but also a bad night for Walker Kessler's NBA hopes, NBA draft stock, if you will, because if you can get played off the court by the hurricanes, you know, what NBA team's not going to be able to do that to you? So Auburn loses. Miami moves on. They're going to play Iowa State in the Sweet 16, which beat Wisconsin 54-49. Wisconsin shot a season-low 29.8% from the field and turned it over a season-high 17 times. That's an awful combination. Hey, guys, we're in the round of 32 against a, a double-digit seed Let's go out and shoot it worse than we've shot it all year and turn it over more than we've turned it over all year. Not going to work. Wisconsin, again, 29.8% for the field, 17 turnovers. Badgers were 1 of 22 from 3. Johnny Davis was 0 of 7 from 3, just 4 of 16 from the field. Wisconsin also, and this might explain the turnovers to some degree, you know, playing without Chucky Hepburn for the entire second half, suffered a leg injury in the first half. It was just uh, everything that could go wrong for Wisconsin went wrong for Wisconsin and congrats to TJ Osselberger. How about this Mm. born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and eliminates Wisconsin in Milwaukee to take Iowa state to the sweet 16 in year one. We've been through it. Um, Inherited a two win program is now a one point favorite. Actually one point favorite last night. It's flipped this morning to miami minus two so let's just put it this way inherited a two-win program and is now in the sweet 16 after going seven and 11 in the big 12. we've talked about this before we wait to do our coach of the year voting tj otzenberger takes iowa state to the elite eight after inheriting a two-year program is that coach of the year stuff you could argue just getting to the NCAA tournament after inheriting a two-win 2 program as coach of the year. Stop. And then bouncing it into the Elite Eight? Might be. Might mm. have to reconsider some stuff.
1: Ed Cooley has my vote. Ed Cooley has my vote if Iowa State doesn't make the Final Four. I think I have Ed Cooley no matter what happens here. He gets Providence into the Sweet 16. They're going to play Kansas. Also, is great, but it's the entire regular season, and Providence's record was a lot better than Iowa State. So, uh, You know, I I have to take all of that into consideration. If you do well in the tournament, I'll take that into consideration as well. Oh, by the way, Tommy Lode would still be ahead of Otzelberger for me. Uh, We will get to Arizona TCU in just a second here. Uh, I I noted on Twitter, um, you want to talk about the fickle beast that is this tournament? Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray, Oscar Shibwe, Kofi Coburn. Four of the five to six... Best players, most valuable players, player of the year types, first team All American types in the sport this season. And what do they all have in common? They're not going to play on next weekend. They're all out.
0: Do it in your Magic Johnson voice. What do they all have in common? I'm not going to be
1: here. (laughs) Hopefully, that's close. (laughs) I'm not going to be here. I think I, mean, I think I might be lower than what than what Magic was doing, but yeah, I got, I got no problem. You handle the peacock, I'll handle I'll handle Magic Johnson. Um, it's a wild though. Like, and actually, it's, we still have plenty of star power. Like, we still got to get to Jaden I. Like, we still have guys that are still going to be moving along, and we have amazing storylines in Sweet Sixteen all over the place. But Iowa State. You know, it kind of makes sense that they got out of that pod, if you will, uh, because that that one looked like it was maybe ripe for some chaos, and that wound up being true. Tyrese Hunter is a real ball player. Real ball player. Uh, Iowa State fans enjoy him because uh, that's not a four-year dude at your school right now. He will be making money playing in the NBA. He'll be the latest and next Tyrese to do so out of Iowa State University. And T.J. Alzenberger has statistically pulled off Uh, I saw some variation of this tweet from like three different accounts uh, on Sunday. Like there's never been a team that's done this that goes from two wins to the Sweet 16 has never happened. So incredible stuff for him and that program. Iowa State fans, you know, they were probably gripping a little bit down the stretch of the regular season. Understandably so, because it was just up and down, up and down. Good start. And then you got in the Big 12 play. And it's a bear. What do you want? It has the bears and it is a bear. And, but you get, you had more than enough to get in. And we, I believe we were in agreement parish. We thought Iowa state was actually under for its resume. Right. I don't know if I had an opinion on that. Actually people. Okay. Yeah, Fair I, enough. I well, perfect. I was, I was there and I presume that you might be as well. So, but I'll go there with you. If you hey,
0: I absolutely think Iowa state was under Look yes. at them now. They're in the sweet 60.
1: Exactly. Look at them now. And, uh, they, they, they did a wonderful job. Now they their their ability to just clog teams up is really something else. They're not aesthetically the most pleasing group in the bunch, not even close. But who cares if you're an Iowa State fan, you move along and you get to extend your Iowa State is a perfect example where if if like if I if ISU had lost to LSU in the first round, there wouldn't have been like it wouldn't have been no shame in that. You were the lower-seeded team, first year under Otzelberger, but it's a perfect example of like we get to the tournament and it's like, oh, yeah, they made it, but see ya. Like, we'll, we'll think about you when we got to start talking preseason hoops again kind of deal. Instead, it's exactly what you said before. They managed to get a, they get, get a couple of wins. They get the win over Wisconsin and Milwaukee, and now you get three, four more days worth of exposure. You get a Sweet 16 game, and uh, it's a humongous thing for your program. It's also huge. These kind of things, coaches will tell you, uh getting to the tournament's huge period. But for recruiting, once you get like to the Sweet Sixteen specifically, if you're like a power conference school and not one that's like always there, you can get some real boost and momentum off of that stuff. So I would think that will be a good thing for Iowa State as well. Cyclones will move along to play in Chicago uh, GP Chicago.
0: I, I only keep up with my schedule. I know I gotta come. I'm gonna go home for a day and then come back to New York. I'll be in that's, New York.
1: That's that is Chicago. My point is that's that's relatively close. That'll be uh, that'll be ISU, Miami in Chicago, and then Kansas Providence in Chicago.
0: So we've talked about Duke Michigan State, about Auburn, Miami, about Iowa State, Wisconsin. We will get to some of the other Sunday games next. But first, a word from our sponsors.
2: ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
1: So we about yeah, okay. I, saying, I have never played Halo. Fun fact.
0: Never played Halo either.
1: Okay. But I Here can't go. wait to watch it on Paramount. a real quick, Nada. If people listen to the podcast and they don't watch, do they hear that as well? They used to. Okay. Um, unfortunately, due <laughs> to certain things,
0: I was told that we don't have to play this in the in the audio field. Never mind. If
1: you're listening, if you're listening to the show, there was a video. Uh, ad for Halo, and that's why I talked about that out of nowhere. Go ahead, GP.
0: We've never played Halo, but we cannot wait to watch it on Paramount+. Plus. That's correct. <laughs> so we talked about Duke, Michigan State, Auburn, Miami, Iowa State, Wisconsin. Elsewhere on Sunday, Houston beat Illinois to advance to the Sweet 16 for the third straight tournament. Texas Tech got past Notre Dame to advance to the Sweet 16 in year one under Mark Adams. Purdue beat Texas to advance to the Sweet 16. Fourth time in a five tournament span. Villanova beat Ohio State to advance to the Sweet 16. Fourth time in a six tournament span. And Arizona beat TCU in an overtime thriller with controversy to advance to the Sweet 16 in year one under Tommy Lloyd. Dead leg. Take it wherever you want to take
1: it. We have to take it to Arizona TCU, my man. That's the game. That's the, it was the final one of Sunday night. Incredible watch. Overtime out in San Diego, 8580. TCU, bravo. Great run this season. Jamie Dixon has done an incredible job coaching his alma mater, getting him to just their second dance since 98, 21 and 13. Completely obliterated a Seton Hall team that I guess showed up because it felt obligated that it had to, but certainly played like it knew its coach was on on his way out the door. 69-42. As we record that uh, Kevin Willard is already at maryland so that was one of those like what are we even doing here but tcu took advantage and then very well could have should have had this deal you know i don't even know where to go with there so there this was i think this is the top three game from the first weekend and we had a lot of good ones but this one was a freaking barn burner man wonderful way to close the weekend did, were you able to watch this one did you have a tree situation on the desk
0: we were able to watch this one. Um. We were, we didn't go on. We were on from like 6 30 to 8. And then we were off for a little while and went back on at 1 a.m. So, yes, we all got to watch uh, Arizona TCU, including the end of Arizona TCU, including the end of regulation of Arizona TCU, where quite clearly Arizona committed a foul to create a turnover that at the very least, prevented TCU from having a shot to win in regulation and probably should have been a whistle. All right. Let me, let me rephrase. Definitely should have been a whistle.
1: Yeah. We're going to play two videos here. For, first, I have to show you this Matherin dunk. If you, you probably have seen it, but if you're watching on YouTube, Nada has the video queued It's not on me. It's on Nada. The, the Ben Matherin dunk in this game is John ja Morant at the NBA level kind of stuff. Nada, if you got it, go.
0: Oh, oh, great.
1: Great. Bring in the house, wow. Lisa Byington, awesome play-by-play. By the way, did a great job on this game, dude. There was also a, the Coloco dunk at the end of the game. We're not going to play it for you, but that basically uh, on the on the putback there, uh, clutch it. But that's Paris. That's that's the out of your couch. Can't believe it. That's, like, you know, NBA-level stuff. How do you not love it?
0: Oh, that was, like, a not only a great dunk, but, like, an all-time great NCAA tournament dunk. The one John Morant had while at Murray State against Marquette, maybe? That's right. Yeah, that was awesome. This was also awesome. And then the game was awesome. Like I said, at the end of regulation, tie game, TCU's got the ball. Um, Arizona basically just blitzes. Mike Miles, and he gets fouled. There's no getting around it. They fouled him. Refs over.
1: They Let's play it, though. Nada. Play that. Play this end sequence of this game and watch this. If you're watching live on YouTube, let me know if you think this is a foul or a flop. Final shot. I, uh I think I think it is really close, and I think he sells it. I think he sells the flop. I think it's actually uh, a timeline violation over and back, and that's where the whistle should have been. I don't no, think that's, I don't no. think that's a foul. Now I think what? Yeah, he
0: fouled I, him. He might have sold the foul, but that doesn't mean him. it wasn't a foul.
1: Uh, I don't. Foul. I, I don't have an issue with no foul there. I, I really don't. I don't. That's outrageous. That's no, I, I. mean, I watched this thing like five times. He really you sells it. it.
0: One more time, then.
1: Nah, I. There. Listen, we had some egregious officiating across. I understand, and I'm. I'm really one that is reluctant to get down into like officiating, complaining. I get that. There were a lot of them that I gotta believe. JD Collins, the director of officiating, is. Uh, hating his Monday right now because he's going through a lot of this stuff because we cannot have this bleeding over into the sweet 16 and the regional finals cannot have it in in this particular case. I thought it was, I thought it was tight. If you call it a foul, I don't have an issue with it. I do think he embellished the action to draw the call. And I think the official in real time might've thought and caught the embellishment. And so that's why no whistle was blown. And then Uh, Taylor Terry, he wants it so bad. If that had actually counted and he got it off in time, it's an all-time ending to an NCAA tournament for multiple reasons. One, there's no foul call, so the outrage is even greater than what we're talking about now, but then it's a walk-off dunk to win a tournament game. It would have been amazing, but it would have been controversial. I'll give you that.
0: Andrew in the comments wants to know if you, Norlander, were officiating the Baylor-North Carolina game.
1: I was, I was not. I was actually waiting for someone to say why, uh, why isn't Norlander wearing glasses? But I just, <laughs> I, I mean, no. I, I get it. I, I completely understand. We've got a few flop. We got a few people in the comments that are saying that that, that they actually thought it was more than a flop. You do agree though that he did embellish. Like, come on, man. I, I, I think it is possible that he
0: sold it, but that doesn't mean he didn't get fouled. He might have embellished it, but he still got fouled. And here's the here's the problem. Okay, refs didn't call it. Well, then it's a backcourt
1: violation. You got to call something. I know. I don't. I don't. And so we'll finish our talk in the game here. But real quick, I I simply I, I want to have answers for how the whistle isn't blown in that situation. I want answers for 17 things that happened in UNC Baylor. And it wasn't just those two games. There has been stuff here and there. um I'd have to go back and look. There's another game where uh, both fan bases were just irate at the officiating, and I mean, you know, I'm, it's probably every game, but that's fans for you. But there was another one where it was uh, it was pretty pretty rough. But yes, I don't get how you do not blow your whistle in that situation. Uh, time and score for players, for coaches, for the officials, and oh, it was also um, what's the game Quinn was at? Oh, the freaking tech for hanging on the rim, Illinois. Back we'll back get after. there. Come on, what are we doing? And the fact that the officials don't have to speak to this, I'm not saying after every single game, you got to trot all three of them up there on the dais and have them speak to the the collective media. But every so often, yeah, aside from a, a written statement that is like four to five sentences, which we occasionally will get, it would be nice if there was simply some more accountability from the officials especially on this stage i don't think it's asking too much i understand the reasons why they don't want to do this because they don't want to make officials even more of a visual target they don't want to trot them out in front of the media so even more people can get you know an up close and personal look at at who they are their face their name and they become more even ingrained as it stands now most people watching the NCAA tournament 99 percent of them don't know who these officials are only the hardcores that follow this thing all season long know who Bobaraski is for example or Doug Shaw's right but uh I still don't think that's a good enough excuse to not at least have these guys these are these are extremely competent human beings that for the most part are very good at their job and are and by the way they're not full-time college basketball officials they have you know other ventures and prof- and, and occupations in their life where they are successful and they are wonderful people to talk to i think plenty of them would actually handle themselves quite well if they had to face one or two or three questions. Again, I don't even want to put them on a dais. That's fine. Face-to-face with one pool reporter, but it's an actual give and take conversation with the reporter. It's not we're here. We're a reporter right now. The process is we're a reporter. Here's a question or two that we're submitting. All right. We take your question. Then we explain it to you. We hand you a piece of paper with the printout of an explanation. That's it. No face-to-face record it, get it done like that. Until we have that, I think you're going to leave a lot of people unsatisfied with the process. when, the officiating fails as it failed at the end of regulation of what was still an incredible game uh, between Arizona and TCU. Uh, again, among the top three we had in an amazing first weekend. We're already at seven OT games, by the way. I believe it's seven. One more will tie the record all time for most in one tournament.
0: Yeah. So, like, officiating has been a storyline in this tournament, and not for good reasons. And. Uh, you- Listen, some of this stuff is bang-bang stuff. It's subjective, and, and reasonable people in the moment could see it different ways. Like, I, I got it. Uh, and if you want to say the interregulation Arizona TC falls under that umbrella, I disagree, but whatever. I wouldn't fist fight you over it. But some of this stuff is just outrageous to anybody watching. Like Melendez getting a tech for hanging on the rim in the Houston-Illinois game. And I know that people will then say, well, you know, according to the rule book, if you can watch that and justify it, quote, according to the rule book, then change the goddamn rule book. Right. I mean, it's outrageous. And you
1: can't even justify it according to the rule book on that specific dunk, hang on the rim, momentum carrying them.
0: It's outrageous. I mean. The the way college basketball officials handle things is so backwards. A player will get a tech for hanging on a rim after a dunk. NBA players can hang on the rim, do a flip, grab their balls, doesn't matter. Nobody says a word. It's all fine and celebrated. It goes viral. College basketball player looks at somebody after he dunks and he gets a technical. That's not an exaggeration. Looks at somebody after he dunks, he'll get a technical. A college basketball player hangs on the rim technical like if you can justify that by the rule book change the rule book it's outrageous why can you give a tech to a player for hanging on the rim which is completely harmless and honestly the only thing it might hurt is your own transition defense like there's an inherent penalty to hanging on the rim like because the other team might be playing five on four the other way so let let that just be handled by the flow of the game. Hey, you should be able to, and I'm not joking or exaggerating or trying to be hyperbolic. You should be able to lay, hang on the rim as long as you want. Like if you want to hang on the rim for 15 seconds, as long as you're off of it by the time the other team's trying to shoot back down the court, when they come back down your way, then you're fine. As long as you, as long as you hang it on the rim, doesn't. Uh, lead to basket interference. You should be fine. I don't care anything about that. Meantime, we've got a system where college coaches can mf officials all game long for 40 minutes. <laughs> you are, and that will not that will not lead to a technical foul. You are you are better off as a coach mfing. Well, First I mean, all, the and, and, entire
1: game. I think if you actually do drop an MF or on, a, on an official in most instances, that's a, that's an immediate one. Um, but, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know coaches you're
0: saying. yell at the officials nonstop. They do. They do. It yeah. is outrageous. Yeah. It's so funny to me. If you ever sit courtside at these games, the refs come out right before the game and they all shake hands with the coaches. It's like you'll see a coach. It'll be he'll shake hands with all three officials. Oh, hey, 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 Jimmy, how's your kids go? How your kids doing? Everybody's all fine, smiling, shaking hands. Oh, soon yeah. as the soon as the game starts, it's like, what are you doing? Ew. Call the GD fab, blah 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 blah. It's yes. crazy. In the NBA, coaches are not allowed to just yell like that at officials the entire time. Get more in line with the NBA when it comes to this stuff. Hang on the rim as long as you want. Celebrate dunks. We don't care. Coaches, you're not allowed to cuss out officials. All game long. We will call text for that. The way this thing, uh, college basketball works, is so backwards and stupid. There was, um, I mean, like, I know that you and Cobb, I guess, talked about this on Saturday night's podcast. Yeah. Brady Manick.
1: like, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Okay,
0: like, if you could kick him out of the game for that, according to the rule, then change the rule. This is outrageous. Like, there needs to be a real overhaul. A S a P.
1: I completely agree. And I have to believe that again, JD Collins is in charge of all officiating for the NCAA. And he's the one who assigns the officials for these games. He's helped grading them. Guys are either getting or not getting games this weekend based on how they performed over the, over this past weekend. And there's going to be a lot of crews that aren't working and shouldn't work. If you cannot rise to the moment, you don't deserve to keep working. And that will be the case with some of these officials. I'm not rooting for this to be the case. We're not also asking for perfection. The things that people have the biggest problems are with are like just things that just go against common sense and it's and it's blatant stuff that's missed. You cannot miss, you cannot miss not blowing a whistle at the end of that Arizona TCU game it made for a frenzied finish. Like in real time, I was like, what the hell this is? I I didn't even know how to react. I was like, what what did I just see? But I'm watching on television after, you know, seven hours of sleep in three days. I'm not an official paid to be on my game at every single moment, the highest stakes imaginable all season long. And yeah, just it was the T for hanging on the rim. You, I I knew it a second before I heard the whistle. I said, they're going to do this, aren't they? And they did. And it's just, it's it's unacceptable. Hopefully, enough conversation internally with the NCAA. In addition to frankly stuff like this and you know social media, I hope that we don't have a game we are talking about for the remainder of this tournament where anything from this past weekend kind of bubbles up again and we have a coda to all this because I I really don't want to see that. I want to wrap quick on Arizona TCU. Um, Coloco had the dunk that clinched it. He was awesome. Mathurin had thirty. Coloco had twenty eight and Arizona. I don't know if this is going to be one of those games where it's like they make the title game, and the only tight one they had was TCU. Like you, sometimes will get that with a one seed where they go to the final four. They really they win. They win at least five, and only one of them's like a real push. Sometimes you see that. Maybe that will be this. This game will be that for them. But again, Mike Miles, Chuck O'Bannon, Eddie Lampkin, just a hoss down there. All credit to TCU. That was so so awesome, and I think for TCU, a program which, you know, for the most part, you know, succeeded in some obscurity because you're almost never in the tournament from a men's basketball perspective. You're just like occasionally just there. It was a big moment for your program, Horn Frog fans, including my uh, my neighbors here, um, uh, husband and wife. The wife actually attended TCU, uh, and it just you know it, it. She was so fired up about college basketball. And she's not even a college basketball fan. It's, it's awesome how this sport can bring for that exact reason. Your alma mater uh, gets to the tournament. It's almost never there. So TCU fans certainly hang your head high. Sticking in that region, just quick on Houston over Illinois. Uh, idiotically, I guess I had Illinois in the final four. So, <laughs> well, uh, but Houston, number two at Ken Palm wins 68 to 53. Kelvin Sampson takes off his shirt in celebration afterward. You do you, Kelvin. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. You got you got me all the way. Taze Moore goes for 21. Jamal Shedd had the game of his life. Houston, something. It, it really is, man. I mean, Illinois has, I think, overall, Illinois has more talent, has more size, has more depth. Didn't matter, man. Kelvin Sampson's a bad, bad, bad dude. And Houston's going back to the Sweet 16 yet again, although it was surprising. I, uh, I heard this on the broadcast when it happened. This is the first time since 84 that Houston has defeated a single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament. Illinois, that was the first time since 84. Now, again, for 26 years, the program was a graveyard. It just was nothing. And then Kelvin Sampson has made it relevant for, you know, the better part of six, seven years here. But kind of wild, GP, that this, that they had since Hakeem Akeem when he was there. Not even Hakeem. He was Akeem when he was in college. It was the last time Houston had defeated a single-digit seed in the Big Dance until they knocked off Illinois by 15 to move on to the regional semifinals.
0: Yeah, on, on uh, Houston, Illinois, uh, you know, I, I think at this point, everybody knows the story. Houston loses you know, tons from last season's team. Um, they lose two of their top four players in December. Still win their league. Still win their league tournament. Still beat a Big Ten champion to go to the Sweet 16. What? I mean, as I tweeted yesterday, the list of coaches who could lose two of their top four in December still win their league league tournament and beat a big ten champion to go to the Sweet sixteen is very, very short. And it might be it might really be a list of one. It might be Kelvin Sampson. Illinois, um just a bad performance. and uh, Andre Corbello benched the entire second half. Brett Underwood was asked about it afterward, said uh, the coach's decision. Mm. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that leads to a transfer portal.
1: I mean, it's possible. Yeah.
0: Um, Illinois has had two great seasons back to back. Second in the Big Ten one year, um, first this season. Mm. And it's just both of them ended round of 32 earlier than uh, I think Illinois fans hoped. Although, um, I believe Houston was a slight favorite over Illinois. Is that correct?
1: I uh, yeah th- yeah it was yeah. it was because uh, the predictive metrics had Houston again. Right. I didn't realize Houston was two at a tip, but it was because Baylor lost. But the number two team in the country, man, you called this team computer trickers. By the way, I just want to. I, I,
0: I take it back. I take it back. My like. I mean, I I, I am sorry for assuming that losing two of your top four plays in December will ultimately change your team. That's on me.
1: <laughs> I, I think Ken Palm might have been subtweeting you. I don't know.
0: That, that's on me. I'm sorry for assuming. How about this? If you take every basketball team in the country for the next five years that loses two of its top four players before January 1st and assume they won't be nearly as good, you will be right every time. Unless it happens to be Kevin Sampson in Houston again. Then you'll be wrong.
1: <laughs> amazing, right? It,
0: it's amazing. Like I Logically, what I was saying made sense. They lost two of their top four players before, uh, in December, they're not going to be able to hold this thing together. Sure. They can get through the AAC, but eventually in the tournament, they're going to run into somebody like a big 10 champion. And then that'll be that except it wasn't Calvin Sampson is amazing. Uh, what he has done with that Houston program is, uh, in- incredible. Um, Ohio state like Illinois is another team that's gone out of the NCAA tournament before the second weekend. Yeah. Um, and I know Ohio State fans are chirping a little bit, and I get it. I understand. If you want to be disappointed, de- be disappointed. I,
1: I'm not going to try to talk I, you out I of mean, it. I guess they're the seven, GP. Yeah,
0: but Ohio State fans would then argue, well, we shouldn't have been a seven to begin with, right? So I mean,
1: uh, they, they haven't just, just suing since like, Thanksgiving. Like They also have dealt with issues.
0: Listen, I'm about to defend Ohio State.
1: All right. Um,
0: Ohio State has been good every year under Chris Holtman. And You know, my favorite fact about Billy Donovan's career is that before he won back-to-back national titles, Florida got eliminated in the opening weekend five straight years. Five straight years. Either round of 64 or round of 32. Florida got eliminated. People are questioning Billy Donovan. Why can't you go to the second weekend? Then he wins back-to-back national titles. I'm not telling you Chris Holtman's going to win back-to-back national titles or a national title. I'm just telling you if you keep building teams that are good enough to advance to the second week of the NCAA tournament, eventually you will start getting there consistently. Uh, Ohio State's got the right coach. Chris Holman will keep putting teams together that are good enough to do it. And um, and then eventually, you know, these these uh, round of 64, or round of 32 exits will be, I think, a distant memory.
1: Yeah, Villanova's, you know, it's I it, it, don't ever let it be old hat because for a long time it was Villanova can't get out of its own way and can't get into the second weekend. But now this is a sweet 16 run for Villanova and Colin Gillespie and, and Jermaine Samuels both were tremendous uh, and kind of pushing them past seventy one sixty one. Ohio State was able to keep it close and kind of flirt a little bit. But big picture overall OSU Um You know, I think I thought it had a relatively decent season versus everything that it encountered there. So Villanova will move on uh, as well to uh, to the Sweet 16, and then the two other games we haven't talked about yet um, are Texas Tech Notre Dame. Texas Tech will obviously play Duke in San Francisco. Um, uh, Notre Dame, you know, Texas Tech basically just with about 90 seconds to go said, "All right, that's it, (laughs) we're done here." And, And credit to Texas Tech fans, I picked Tech to not make the Sweet 16. The Internet is just alive with 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 verve and gusto in Lubbock right now. I'm not saying Texas Tech could never do it. Texas Tech fans. I just I'm not going to pick chalk every single pick. So I took a little chance there. I said I said Alabama was going to be Texas Tech. Well, that game never even happened. So I stick by the pick. I stick by it. Texas Tech. Kevin O'Banner. How about that? Back to back sweet 16s for our guy. Two different programs. Oral Roberts, now TTU. He had a really nice game against Notre Dame. Uh, ACC would have almost almost had four in the Sweet 16, but Tech's obviously the better team, deserving to move along. Mark Adams, yet another first-year coach into the Sweet 16. You'll notice we've got uh, a few of those spots. You know, Lloyd, Otzelberger. Anyone else off the top of my head is a first-year deal that's in there? I think those are the only three, right? I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Hey, that's awesome, though. Great stuff. And I think it's fair to say that with Lloyd and Adams and Otzelberger, they have outperformed their expectations. Otzelberger we already covered. Lloyd had a tournament team, but there's no thought that Arizona was going to be you know top twenty level. There go you know top Sweet Sixteen level kind of team. And Texas Tech, the same deal, uh, was not ranked in the preseason AP top twenty five. Really awesome to see, and um, you know we might talk Sweet Sixteen just a little bit here, but then there'll be a preview episode. I have to fly Wednesday, so GP will handle the the load of the of this, of this the Sweet 16 preview stuff. And I, the different styles between Texas Tech and Duke will be fascinating to see up close and personal, particularly because these teams, both because they finished on Sunday, quick turnaround. They don't even have to wait. They don't get to wait till Friday to play. They'll get on a bird one day earlier. Then they got a tip off on Thursday. And then the last game, uh, Purdue beats Texas. So Chris Beard's former school still in, current school not. I think on the whole, Texas did not match expectations this season. I'm not even talking about just preseason top five. I can even toss that aside. Um, I think generally speaking, going into the year, if you would have said, all right, is it fair to say that with this roster going in, Texas will be one of the 15 best teams and get a top five seed and, you know, make the second weekend. If not like come really, really close, that would have been fair. I think if you measure, if you put that as the, as the measurement, it fell just short of that. But, Purdue had an awesome game, and Jaden Ivey, yet again, was a stud. Trayvon Williams was also incredible in that. 22 points. Ivy had 18. Uh, Eric Hunter had a couple of big shots as well. Um, credit to Marcus Carr and, and Andrew Jones. They played in that game the way that I thought Texas needed them to play uh, for the most of the season off of each other to be a better team. They had it here. It just wasn't enough. They went up against a Purdue team that was just outstanding. Offensively, they got it done. Defensively, there was enough. There was enough defensively. We'll see if they can keep it up. That region... Which you know it's going to be Purdue versus Peacocks. It's broke for the Boilers here. Um, we'll see if they can keep it up. They're the they're the best seed left uh, in that. That's go, those games are going to be in Philly. They're the best in the East. But uh, but a big win for my preseason national championship pick. And Purdue might 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 be getting it together while also that you know coalescing coinciding with. That region uh, having plenty of chaos and noise because on the top half of that, that'll be Carolina, Baylor. Bottom half, St. Peter's, Purdue.
0: So the Sweet Sixteen is is now set, and um, I'm going to do Wednesday morning's podcast before I get on a plane back here to New York with David Cobb. We will discuss every Sweet Sixteen matchup. Then we'll pick them against the spread. David Cobb will probably get them all right, and I'll probably get them all wrong because he's the king of the Final Four and one, and I'm. I'm definitely something less than that. But by conference, the Sweet 16 breaks down like this. ACC got three in. Big 12 got three in. For the ACC, it's Duke, North Carolina, Miami. Big 12, Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State. Big East, Big 10, and Pac-12 each got two. Villanova-Providence in the Big East. Purdue-Michigan in the Big 10. Arizona-UCLA in the Pac-12. And then the AAC, MAC, SEC, and WCC each got one. Houston, St. Peter's, Arkansas- Gonzaga, um, we've talked about it. The Big Ten had nine bids for the second straight season. Disappointed relative to expectations. Half the schools in the Sweet 16, how about this, Yep, have won a national title. The teams in the Sweet 16 have accounted for 31 national championships. So, it's going to be a, a fun Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and if you need the schedule, here it is. Sweet 16 games, Uh, Four on Thursday, four on Friday. I'll run you through it real quick. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, Gonzaga, Arkansas, in San Francisco, on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, Network of Stars. Gonzaga, minus eight and a half, dead leg will be there. Thursday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern, Villanova, Michigan, in San Antonio, on TBS, Villanova, minus five. Thursday, around 9.30 p.m. Eastern, Duke, Texas Tech, in San Francisco, on CBS, Texas Tech, opened as the favorite, Minus one and a half. Thursday around 9.45 p.m. Eastern, Arizona, Houston, and San Antonio on TBS, Arizona, minus two. Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, Purdue, St. Peter's in Philadelphia on CBS, America's Most Watched Network Network of Stars. Got to get the Peacocks on the Network of Stars. Purdue, minus 12 and a half. Friday, 7.15 p.m. Eastern, Kansas, Providence, and Chicago on TBS. Jayhawks, minus seven and a half. Friday around 9.30 p.m. Eastern, UCLA, North Carolina on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, Network of Stars, UCLA, minus two. Friday around 9.45 p.m. Eastern, Miami, Iowa State, in Chicago on TBS. The opening line that I saw had Iowa State as a slight favorite. Most recent line I saw, Miami, minus mm. two and a half. So, Deadleg, you enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'm going to do a radio show oh. and go to the airport, then mm-hmm. fly home.
1: I was going to give you good news here before we wrap. You got some good news.
0: You yes. found my glasses. You found Another my glasses. Shot.
1: I will say this: I I purchased a pair of I, of, of AirPods. I got it. I, you, either you or not has got to send me that link for that case. I I feel you. That little that little container.
0: No, easily looking. lose. Uh, he's looking for show, him now. Let me, let me show you
1: what I got. he lost him.
0: You're gonna love this.
1: This thing that I the, the the thing that the AirPods come with though you can lose them real easy. Very slippery. So that's not okay. what i was gonna bring okay up. look here uh, there. Yeah. can
0: you see this i can so you got, look at that
1: yeah there it is that's yes
0: that's that a life-changing seven dollar purchase
1: send me the link that's What's not what deal? i was gonna bring up though um you my friend have the best ats record of any of the six of us at cbs through this part of the tournament so right mm-hmm. now maybe
0: i am the king of the final form one
1: Uh, I think, well, you are, you are two games ahead of me. So you're still behind me overall. Nada's got to tally this with the other record and he can update it when you guys pick the sweet 16 games. And then uh, we, everyone has to pick the games for the site. So my pixel count, even though you won't hear them on the, on this podcast, you are 26 and 26, even Steven. How about that? I'm 24 and 28 Patterson chip 24 and 28. Oh boy. David Cobb is 21 and 31. What? 21 and 31 for Cobb. Oh, somebody fell off the turntable. Somebody
0: fell off.
1: Jerry Palm is 22 and 30 and Kyle Boone. Oh man, he is 18 and 34 right now. strong Strong jaw. You're 26 and 26. You're even Steven, my man. Congrats. We'll see if you can maintain it though. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Oh, real quick before we get out of here, since I'm not doing the, um, the sweet 16 previews GP just ran down the entire schedule for you. Uh, Thursday should be incredible. Uh, I I do think that Duke, Texas tech is going to be just a grinder of a game. And I want to see how Duke responds off of the way that it played against Michigan state playing a completely different kind of team. And if it can handle the physicality of Texas tech, Texas tech can't really score with Duke. But Tech will bring that game into the style and pace that I think it wants to. So that's going to be super, super interesting with all that. Also, by the way, I think both because Duke is a national program and because Texas Tech fans actually travel extremely well for the men's basketball, I think there's a chance that that building is going to be... Uh, a really good split because you'll also have Gonzaga fans who will absolutely be there because Gonzaga, Arkansas is a late game. And then Arkansas fans don't, I think that, I think the chase, I, I've never been to San Francisco. I can't wait to get to the city. I'm very excited about it. And I think that the fan bases traveling there are going to be awesome. I think that the West in particular, because it's the only one that's chalk one, two, three, four, put your bracket on the floor. It. I think it can be the best region overall because the best teams are still there. doesn't mean we'll absolutely get the best games or the best results or best outcomes there. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. And this Thursday night is just a huge night overall. I mean, you've got Michigan Villanova. Michigan's a huge brand. Villanova uh, will be favored in that game is favored in that game. And Michigan has certainly had as interesting of a past three weeks as almost any program in America, maybe other than St. Peter's frankly, at this point there. Uh, so that's intriguing. Then Houston, Arizona is kind of similar to Texas tech Duke, just in terms of, what Arizona can do, it's, it's ceiling. like Duke and Arizona feel like, and Gonzaga's there as well. Like when they're at their absolute best, it's like they feel a tier above everyone else, but Houston and Texas tech have a way that they can, uh, they can certainly alter what those teams want to do. And the fact we get Carolina, UCLA, GP, you were rolling down a whole bunch of stuff. So I don't know if you said this, or if you've seen it, I was checking on other stuff. I feel like these teams don't have an extensive history. Is this the second time they've met in the tournament? The first time they met in the tournament? I thought I heard something about that, where those two particular Blue Bloods, maybe they've never met in the tournament. I could be lying about that. But I love the fact that it's that in a regional semifinal in an unexpected way, and you'll get we're guaranteed to have either heels or Bruins in the Elite Eight, and that'll mean either McCronin's making back to back Elite Eight runs or Hubert Davidson's first year taking UNC to the Elite Eight. I think that's pretty, pretty cool. And then Providence, you know, for Ed Cooley to get them to play Kansas uh, in the Sweet 16 and what he's done there, a humongous race is coming Ed Cooley's way. <laughs> he, he is going to get paid, P A I D, paid. That is on its way. And um, it'll be uh, that game will be going right alongside St. Peters versus Purdue. I just hope. So you covered Dunk City uh, first weekend in 13. I covered them for the Sweet 16 when they played Florida. And I mentioned this on the pod with Cobb. Um, when Dunk City did it, you know, it was in Jerry Dome. It was a huge football stadium. There were some fans there for the, for FGCU, but like it was, you know, it was whatever. Last year, Oral Roberts is in the bubble and they almost beat Arkansas, but it's in the bubble like it wasn't the same. This is St. Peter's out of Jersey going to Philly all of Jersey city to Philly has got to be 80 minutes, 90 minutes. It's not that far of a ride whatsoever. And so they are going to be able to bring a ton of people to that game. I think it's going to be awesome. So I just want to, I want to just jam. I asked
0: asked this from an honest place. Do they have a ton of people?
1: Uh, uh, Dude. There, it, it is Jersey. The The state is going to adopt them. There are going to be there. Are, I, I actually believe there are people that are that will live in the greater Jersey City area, don't know anything about this university. If they can get their hands on tickets, they're showing up to represent for the Peacocks there, as they should. I think that I, I just hope it's a great game. I don't care who wins. If, if St. Peter's wins, are you kidding me? A 15 in the Elite Eight, awesome. If it's Purdue, then we've got you know. High-level offense, Jaden Ivy, superstar. Either way, but I would love, love, love if we could get one more just completely enrapturing game from St. Peter's and Purdue in that spot. We'll see if they can maintain it. It's one thing to go day over day, two days, and try and make it happen. Now you got a whole week. You're a national news story. St. Peter's is a small campus. To, to keep that going, Shaheen Holloway is like you know already been linked to the Seton Hall job. I by linked. the way, t- linked. I mean, I think he's got the job. I don't know what you want from me. Like, I, th- yeah. I think hes I, he might be coaching both programs. Now. They should do
0: that. They should do the press oh. conference at Seton Hall tomorrow, and then he can go coach St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament. In all
1: honesty, like, just do that. Like, everyone kind of knows the deal at this point, and it, 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 Seton Hall can kind of drift in St. Peter's wake in a weird way. Shaheen Holloway has two NCAA – Justin Nick Parko, I said this on the podcast oh, with Cobb, uh, our editor Nick Parko, he pointed this out. Shah- Shaheen Holloway has two NCAA tournament wins in his career. Kevin Willard has one. Kevin Willard has won. So your new coach, Pirates fans, has a more successful run win percentage-wise in the tournament than your former one. Uh, it's just a matter of making that a formality. But yes, I can't wait. Awesome Sweet 16, setting up for it. And I will be back with you later in the week. I, f- Friday, we'll figure out that pod schedule. But uh, since I'm flying to San Fran early on Wednesday, um, I won't be here, but GP and Cobb will have you absolutely covered. Head to toe, everything that you want to know, picks, et cetera, with every Sweet 16 matchup. I'll do everything while you go to San Francisco.
0: Okay. Okay? (laughs) I'll just sit here and do everything
1: while you go to San Francisco. Hey, listen, you could have podcasted last night. This was better. This was better. This was way better. Way better. Yeah. Agreed. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts
0: to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Joe Simmons. 6'5 legend. averaged 0.4 points in five games for Baylor in the 2003-04 season. You remember it? I do not. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys. Once again. Are you not going to shout out?
1: How do you not shout out Jerome Tang? He just got the K-State job. Really happy for Jerome Tang. Yeah. I thought Long that was overdue. Coming.
0: Long overdue. I got into a fight with a Kansas State fan and all over a misunderstanding. So I tweet, I tweet, uh, hey, congrats to, I don't know what I tweeted, but it was something along the lines that Jerome Tang finally gets his first head coaching job, and it's a great first job at Kansas State. This Kansas State fan was like, we're not some uh first job that you use to bounce to another place. We've been to, and he was he was giving me all Kansas State's basketball credentials. He's like, and we got two flights from Manhattan to
1: Chicago every day. So no, we're going, we're going local airfare schedule situation. Two I was, like,
0: I was like, dude, c- calm down. I, I didn't. I met Jerome Tang got his first head coaching job, and relative to other first head coaching jobs that people get, this is a great job. Like Grant McCaslin goes to North Texas. Jerome Tang got uh, you know. Uh, Jerome Tang got the Kansas State job. That's what I meant. It's a great job to get for your first job. Not it's like your great first job, but it won't be your last. And he was like, oh, "I'm sorry, GP. I'm. I guess I'd uh, misread it." I enjoy <laughs> I've you. Seeing that direct <laughs> schedule to Dallas. I mean, it's incredible, man. No, he was so he was so offended. Happy for thrilled for Jerome Tang. Like, it shouldn't have taken this long for him to get this kind of opportunity, but he, he finally got it. And I I think he'll do, uh, I think he'll do well there. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please, please go subscribe. Apple Podcast, Spotify five stars. While you're there, leave a nice review, write some words. There's more of us than there are of them. It needs to be reflected in the apple podcast reviews sometimes it's not but it needs to be reflected in the apple podcast reviews if you haven't subscribed to the youtube channel yet double bird to you you should have already it's outrageous that i've been doing this all season like at some point we're just gonna move on you either do it or you and don't
1: if anyone listened to the previous show i i had a earnest heartfelt thank you to everyone subscribing it's really helped the show and then one show later <laughs> There's like to all you MFers who have not done this yet. Yeah,
0: tired. well you're talking to the you're talking to the good people and I'm I, I know talking know. I know, I know I got it. Is it like a good cop bad cup thing? You're yeah. talking to the good people who have already done what we've asked them to do, and I'm talking to the others. What's wrong with you people? Jesus Lord. Tired of asking. Just subscribe. So that I can stop getting notes and say remind people to subscribe. Don't forget to remind that's, people that
1: that's never stopping.
0: <laughs> don't 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 forget that, ask people I ask them. I've been asking them for 4 months. I'm going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take
2: care.